Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to the Deep Dive. It is episode 8 of season 5, and I am your host, Tim Hatch, and welcome back to the channel. And if you go to the channel on Tuesday night, and now you're here on Wednesday night, can I just say a very special thank you to all of you who do that. I appreciate the faithful watchers, and it is a pleasure to bring this content, and I hope that it helps, especially last night. You'll see that the desk here has been cleared out of much of my holiday uh, accoutrements, and I only have the Almond Joys left because, as I said last night on the deep end, Almond, good for you, joy, godly. Okay. <laughs> Hope you have a happy Halloween, and thank you for sharing last night's comment. Saw a lot of shares, and I would encourage you to share tonight's content as well as we get into the Book of Romans. Well, good Bible preachers do not just inform, they inspire you with illustrations. And the Apostle Paul is a great preacher. He is a great teacher. And so in Romans chapter 4, which is where we're going today, he illustrates the text of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 was theology, heavy theology, about justification, redemption, propitiation. We talked about all those heavy-hitting theological terms that shape who we are, that make us who we are as Christians. And I trust that you enjoyed last week, and I trust that Romans is starting to light a fire in you about the gospel. Because remember what Romans says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There are so many Christians, guys. There, are, Well, I wouldn't say Christians. Let me call them churchgoers. So many churchgoers who are completely unfamiliar with the with the theology of the gospel. And as I, and as I like to say, it's actually something that uh, a lot of theologians say, is the gospel is not the beginning of the Christian experience. It's the whole thing. It's, it's the truth of, of God's love for you, a love for that will never leave you, love for sinners, love for failures, and love for people who know that they aren't where they should be, but thank God they aren't where they used to be. Amen? So let's pray, ask God to open our eyes and ears to hear his word. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Romans. Thank you for this chapter. And I pray that you will help me to teach it. And I pray that you help everybody who hears to hear it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's get into Romans chapter 4, 1 to 3. Here it is. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Okay, let's stop there. What is Paul doing? Well, Paul is talking to Jews, as we have been saying for several weeks now, <clears throat> who felt that they were insiders uh, to the church in Rome, and they were being outnumbered by the outsider Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And then there was this sense of superiority amongst the Jewish people, the Jewish believers. They said, look, who are these Gentile guys? They aren't circumcised. They don't have the law. They don't have the promises. They don't have the... And, and, and they come from pagan revelry and pagan idolatry. And so they have no part in this. And the book of Romans is really written to the Jews primarily to say, look, insiders, church insiders, you got to let those outsiders in because none of us are acceptable to God by what we do or who we are. We are acceptable to God by faith in what Jesus Christ, his son, has done. So when you want to convince Jews of something, Paul knows this because he is a Jew, you go back to Abraham. You go all, you forget Daniel, forget David. Well, he'll talk about David in just a moment, but forget, you know, uh, Solomon, forget Moses, Joshua, 
Let's go all the way back. Let's go all the way back to Father Abraham. So he says, what then shall we say was gained by, by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Again, he's talking to Jews because he says, our forefather. But you'll also find out that he's talking to Gentiles by saying that too, according to the flesh. He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham, this is, a key, this is the key line tonight. Abraham believed God mm-hmm, and it was counted. And that is our key term, counted. That word, that word appears 11 times in this chapter, at least 11 times. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is making an argument to Jews that their Jewishness is not the basis for their justification before the Father. And he goes back to Abraham for this very reason. You got to dig way back deep into the history of the Jewish people. And you got to go back to the very beginning, the, the progenitor of the Jewish people, right? The seed of Abraham is the people of Israel. And he is the father of all who have faith, by the way, not just the Jews, but all who have faith, which Paul will get to in just a moment. So let's talk about who was Abraham. Number one, he is the father of faith. Number two, he is the father, the the religious father of, believe it or not, three of the world's main religious faiths, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Islam claims Abraham. Falsely so, by the way, as their father. Well, actually, not falsely so, just spiritually falsely so. Okay. He meets God at age 75. Okay, so good news for all the septuagenarians and octogenarians and septuagenarians and the 50-plus-year-olds. God can meet you in your later years and do something wonderful in you. He received a promise. That promise goes back to Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. He says, leave your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, leave everybody and go to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will make your name great and I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. That's the promise. At 75, he got the promise and he left. He says he, it says he left his family, homeland, the Ur of the Chaldees. The Chaldeans were the, uh, the precursors to the Babylonians, believe it or not. And uh, I talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago, that when the Jewish people rebelled against God's law, he sent them back into the hands of the Babylonians. So they kind of sent them back to the starting line, right? Abraham came out of Babylon from Ur of the Chaldees. He has no son. He has no son. God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be this glorious father. And he has no kids. Hard to be a glorious father when you don't have any kids, right? He waits 25 years for one son through Sarah. 25 years. So not only does he teach us that God can meet us later on in our lives, that it is never too late for God, but he also teaches us that just because there's a delay in the promises that you receive from God, it does not mean there's a denial. God's timing is different than our timing. And if you ever felt like God was late, you'd be best friends with Abraham because Abraham or Abram at that time believed that God was late. He wondered where God was, was and where were the promises. And, and yet he hoped and he held on. Anyway, while he waits 25 years for one son, he fails repeatedly as he goes. He fails continually. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, this is an important theological fact. He lived 450 years before the law was given. Don't miss that. Because the Jews like to claim that their law keeping justified them. And Abraham, who's going to be the prototype here presented by Paul as the life of faith, is a man who lived centuries before there was ever a law. And he was also called 
a friend of God before the law was given. What does Jesus say to the disciples in the Last Supper? I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because you know my business. And that was kind of like Abraham. Abraham knew God's business. Okay, Isaiah 41 verse 8 says, But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Isaiah 41 verse 8. So well before Israel is given their deliverance out of Egypt, given their Ten Commandments and the law and the tabernacle and the sacrifices and all the prescriptions for who they are, there was a man named Abraham who lived way before that, and he is justified. He is justified before God, not by his works, but by his faith. This is the illustration that Paul is going to present to the people of Israel, to, um, to the Roman church, to illustrate the theological points that we are not acceptable to God by what we do. And we have to continue to beat this drum. And Martin Luther famously said, you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day because every day you forget it. Every day you forget that you are not acceptable to God based on your works. You're acceptable to God based on faith, based on his grace, operating through your faith. That is a gift of God. So let's go back to the timeline and let's take a look at it closer or at least uh, more uh, picturesque. We had last week this timeline up. So Egypt, slavery, that's 400 years. Then there's the 10 plagues. Moses brings them out. They go through the Red Sea. That's the sort of baptism. They come to Mount Sinai. They get the law. Okay, that's where the law happens, the 10 laws, and then Exodus and Leviticus and uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy, right? The, the, the Torah, if you will. But before all of that, okay, before all of that happened, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 patriarchs from Jacob's line, the 12 sons of Jacob. And the fountainhead of faith is Abraham, who received God's promise and received God's covenantal promise and received the sign of his relationship with God, the sign of circumcision. In that order, guys, don't miss this. In that order, he got the promise, then the covenant, then the circumcision. Promise, Genesis 12. Covenant, Genesis 15. Circumcision, Genesis 17. Don't miss the order because the order matters. I've been talking about this all season. Ordo salutis, how we are saved, in what order. There's the promise, the word comes. There's a covenant that is enacted by God, by the way, with Abraham and through Jesus for us. And then circumcision, the sign, wherein there's a New Testament corollary to circumcision called baptism. Now, right off the bat, let me, let me touch on that. Baptism is a, is a correlating sign to circumcision. And Abraham believed God and was counted righteous before he was circumcised. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, we baptize professing, believing Christians only. We do not precede belief with the sign of belief. The sign has no bearing on those who don't believe. The sign only has bearing on those who believe. Abraham gets circumcised long after he believes and long after he is counted righteous before God because he followed God's word, the promise. You got it? That order is essential. There can be no theological argument for christening children and calling that baptism. I, I understand the heart behind it. I understand why parents want it. I understand that it's a kind of like a, you know, a, a, a uh, what's the word for medicine that doesn't work, but it's something that soothes you. Oh man, it begins with P, right? Prophylactic? No, that does work. Uh, I can't think of it. <laughs> oh, I want to think of it so bad, and I can't. It's just, 
it's just a something that makes you feel like you're okay. Like, oh, my, my child has now been christened, so now everything's okay. No. You need to raise that child. That child's got a lot of demons in him. That guy, not, not, not technically, but that, guy, that child's got a lot of flesh in him. And it's going to take a long time to see that child grow in Christ. So those are the pictures that the Old Testament paints. And you have to remember this. The Old Testament teaches us our salvation. The Old Testament teaches us how we are saved. It's not like God scrapped the Old Testament when he got to Jesus and said, okay, I'm going to do something completely new. No, Jesus fulfills all of the shadows and types of the Old Testament in his person and in his work. And we follow the order of salvation the same way Abraham and Moses and all the patriarchs as well did. See, it's the same God over both the Old and the New Covenant. Okay, let's go on. Because we had a lot to unpack about all this text. So verse four, he says, not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Not to the one who works. This is a very simple uh, precept. When you work, you get a wage. The wage is not a gift. The wage is not a gift. It is something that you earned. It is something that you can boast about. You can say, look at my hard work. It got me here. And it says that when you when one works, your wages are not counted as a gift, but as your due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. And that is a very important phrase, that it is God who justifies the ungodly. Quick pop quiz. Who does God justify? The ungodly. <laughs> the ungodly and only the ungodly. And uh, it is to him who believes his faith is counted, there is that word again, counted as righteousness. So what does Abraham model for us? Abraham models for us the fact that he was someone who believed God and did not work for his salvation, did not work for his justification, but was given his justification as a gift based on his faith. Let me give you some hard facts about Abraham. Abraham was an idol worshiper. When he was living in Ur of the Chaldees, he was living like the Ur of the Chaldees. Joshua 24, 15. Check this verse out. Joshua 24, 15 says, And it is if, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, this is Joshua speaking to the nation of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, that's Abraham, that's Abraham whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you now dwell, he's in the promised land, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice that he gives them this, this option. You can either go back to serve the gods that your fathers did. That is Abraham, the false gods. Or you can serve the gods of the Canaanite nations that God drove out before you. But I will serve and my house will serve the house of the Lord. Did you know that Abraham was an idol worshiper? Did you know that? Did you know that it wasn't like Abraham was in Ur of the Chaldees and he was praying real hard and he was like, Gosh, I really am tired of all these idols and my heart. There's a hole in my heart that only God can fill. And no, he had no understanding of any of that. He was saturated into the culture of the earth, the Chaldees. He, of course, he does come from the righteous line of Noah, but Noah had been saturated in the culture of his time. Noah was declared righteous in a time in which no one was righteous. And so too, Abraham is declared righteous in a time when no one was righteous. On the basis of the one fact that they both followed the word of the Lord. Now, the Jews teach this text. The Jews teach Genesis and the life of Abraham very differently than the te Genesis text actually reveals. The rabbis actually teach that Abraham actually acquired so much righteousness in his life 
that he made up for all the bad things. That is functional Islam. That is functional karma, if you will, that you do enough good things, you outdo all the bad things. And the Jews to this day believe that Abraham actually became a perfect person, and that's why God justified him. That's why God, quote unquote, saved him. Of course, you have to ignore <laughs> the entire narrative of Abraham's life in the book of Genesis to get to that conclusion. Read Abraham's life. It's R-rated, maybe X-rated, depending on where you put the cameras. It's R-rated. He, he does a whole bunch of things to prove that God only saves sinners. He only justifies the ungodly. Abraham couldn't even boast after he followed God and walked out on his family and went to the land that God showed him. He, in fact, as soon as he got to the land, there's a famine and he leaves the land. Like, and then there's another time when he's going out of the land to Egypt and he sells out his wife on two occasions. On two occasions. Now, now you think about this, ladies, with your Christian husbands. If your Christian husband ever sold you out to save his own skin, would you call that man a Christian man of God? No. But Abraham did that twice. Not once, twice. He he pimped his wife to protect his stuff. That is not a righteous man. I don't care what anybody says. Later in the story, he fornicated with his wife's servant. He had an illegitimate child. And he instigates a sister-wife rivalry. His life is a hot mess at times. Abraham does not model perfect obedience in all things. He models a man who believes, in spite of the evidence of what he sees and how he acts. And he is the father of faith. And so Paul is doing a brilliant work here. He is doing something so brilliant because he's telling the Jews, this is your father. Remember your father? And I'm sure they're like, well, you know, that's just Abraham. And then look what he does in verse six of Romans chapter four. This is so fantastic. Just as Abraham, just as David. So he moves on from Abraham and he goes to like, if you would line up the important figures of the Old Testament in order, it'd be like Abraham, David, Moses, or maybe Abraham, Moses, David, maybe in that order. I don't know. But he goes from Abraham to David, which is like the two of the top three. So Romans 4, 6, 8, 4, 6 to 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to, to whom God counts. There's that word again. Righteousness apart from works. This is David saying in Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So this, when you see a word, okay, real quick. Uh, Bible study tip. When you see a word that is repeated again and again and again in the text, ladies and gentlemen, pay attention to that word. It is trying, it is begging you to pay attention to that word. So this word counted appears several times in the text to teach us that this is what God does. He counts righteousness to us and he does not count our sins against us. And here Paul says, let's talk about David who wrote Psalm 32, who talked about how much of a blessing it is for have, to have God's forgiveness. David was king over Israel for 40 years. He was, he was the greatest king they had ever had, probably. Uh, he established the monarchy and righteousness and justice and faithfulness. He was a man after God's own heart. He killed Goliath. He led them in wars and battles. He finally eliminated the Philistines. He uh, brought peace to the land. He established the temple worship. He was a mighty man of God. But was he righteous all the way? No. He had serious issues. His, his life would be an R-rated movie. His, his life would be an R-rated movie that wins Oscars. That's how bad his life was. 
I mean, he had serious issues with, with adultery. Wait, wait, let's back up. Before we get to adultery, remember Life of David? We did it last season on the deep end. Life of David, we talked about he is polygamous as king, which is specifically breaking the laws of the king in Deuteronomy 17. So he's polygamous. That's number one. Number two, he became an adulterer. That's breaking the seventh commandment. He was a murderer. That's breaking the sixth commandment. He was a horrible absentee father as his children ran wild. In fact, it even says in one text that he never once disciplined his son. He never once disciplined his son, which means he was the parent of a millennial. (laughs) At the end of his life, when he couldn't keep warm, he had a young virgin come to sleep with him. Now, not sexually, but still. It's kind of like weird, like grandpa's sleeping with some young 17-year-old because he can't keep warm at night. This is not a righteous man. And on his deathbed, his dying words to his son Solomon were, I want you to kill Joab. I want you to kill so-and-so. I want you to kill these people because they they wronged me. Like, Could, could you imagine someone in your life being like, leading this righteous Christian life? They get to the end of it. They're like, I need you to off a few people when I'm dead. Like, seriously, this is not a righteous man. This is a man with faults just like you, just like me. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the glory of Bible study because the Bible tells us about the heroes that God chose and used and shows us their warts and their victories and their good and their bad and reminds us that the thing that kept them moving forward in God was faith. What made God, what made David acceptable in God's sight? It, it was his utter dependency on God even after his failures. He was justified by grace through faith. He believed that God would forgive his sin. When Saul, David's predecessor, was confronted with his sin of sparing the, uh, the Agagites and the king and the best of the sheep and the, and the spoils of war, and Samuel comes and confronts him, what does Saul do? He grew angry and defensive and denied it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what unbelievers do with their sin. They get angry when confronted, they get defensive, and they deny it. I'm not that bad. I'm not a sinner. No, that's not me. I was literally having a conversation with someone who was unsaved, and I'm trying to tell him about the Lord, and he's always asking me questions, but I literally had this conversation, and I said, listen, I said, I asked this man, I said, do you think that there's some areas in your life that need changing? He literally said, no. That's what unbelievers do. Unbelievers don't think they need to change. Unbelievers don't think that sin is a problem. That's what Saul did. When he was confronted with his sin, he grew angry, defensive, and denied it. When David was confronted with his sin, especially with Bathsheba, he wept, he repented, and he sought earnestly for God's forgiveness. Immediately, by the way. And God gave him forgiveness, and he blessed David in spite of his sin. It was David's faith that God forgives that saved David, not David's righteous works. David could have killed Goliath and still gone to hell. He could have. Really, he could have. Just because you do great things for God does not mean you are going to go to heaven. It is faith in his justifying work of not counting your sins against you. Now, how does all of this God counting these unrighteous, wicked men like Abraham and David as righteous, how does that square with this passage? Let me put it on the screen. Exodus 23, 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous. Now look at this last line. For I will not acquit the wicked. That's Exodus 23, 7. God says, I will not declare the wicked not wicked or innocent. 
How does that verse square with what is ta- what God is talking about here, what Paul is talking about here in Romans 4 with God counting righteousness to David and to Abraham? It's very simple because that, that passage, Exodus 23, 70, is under the law. This is the law. And according to the law, no one is justified. So, of course, in Exodus 23, 7, God's going to say, I don't acquit the wicked because the law does not save. The law only brings condemnation. The law left to itself will only demoralize you and destroy you. But God will resurrect you through the gospel and forgive you. Psalm, 10, uh, Psalm 130, verse four, 3 and 4 says this, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So what does Scripture say? Back to the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 3. Let's go to the Bible cam this time. What does it say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is a direct quote from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 in the Bible. And he believed the Lord and and he counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is, again, very important, Genesis 15. Mm -hmm. Because Genesis 12 promise, Genesis 15, covenant, Genesis uh, 17, that is circumcision. Very important that you get the law, that you get the order here. So the Lord counted to him righteousness. It's time for some doctrine. And this is why you come to the deep dive because a deep dive is not just about reading the Bible and making cute illustrations and turning it into a sermon. I'm here to teach you doctrine because doctrine matters. Doctrine, like we talked about last week, will save your life. So doctrine time. We're going to talk about imputation. Not amputation. (laughs) I said that kind of fast. Imputation. Imputation is the word that we get from the idea of God counting Abraham and David righteous on the basis of their faith. The word is Logizomai. Logizomai. <laughs> I always mispronounce words all the time, but I think I got this one right. Logizomai. And that means to put to one's account, to reckon or to credit to one's account, if you will. It's like somebody going to the bank and putting $100,000 in your account. Uh, the term was used in Greco-Roman language, legal language, and it was understood in secular commerce as to enter into the books. Now, this is a big theme in the text of the Bible that God constantly talks about these books, these records. In fact, the book of Revelation, which we studied on the deep end in season three or two, that was season two, um, is constantly talking about, and the books were opened and you know the book of life and anyone's name not written in it. So God keeps a record. But this is what also God does. He adds to the record. He imputes, he count, he puts money. spiritual money in the account. What would your life look like financially if you knew you had somebody who loved you so much that they would never let you go broke? That is the picture of God's imputation in your life, that he imputes righteousness so that you are never spiritually bankrupt. It was counted to him as righteousness. It's beautiful imputation that wherein I put my faith in Christ Jesus and as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin so that in him we who 
Our sinners are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He became sin. We become righteousness. Our sin imputed to Christ on the cross. Uh, his righteousness imputed to our account before the Father because of Jesus, because of faith. This is beautiful, which is so helpful for your prayer life. You can pray with confidence because you know he hears you. Why? Because you believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And your righteousness is actually Jesus' righteousness. Jesus, well, let me put it another way, the right way. Jesus' righteousness is your righteousness. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We got to continue. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Now, here is where Paul is going to hit the, hit the uh, hit nail on the head. Is this blessing only for the circumcised? In other, in other words, only for the Jews or the Jews who obey the law? Or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it, and this is the death knell question, was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. And... This does not sound like a big deal text to modern Americans because we were not, we're not Jewish mostly and we are not in the context to whom Paul is writing. But I guarantee you that when this letter was read to the Roman church and Paul says, and the person reading it reads Paul's words saying, when was Abraham counted righteous? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was before, but not after, right? Remember, it was before he was circumcised. And there... I can just see the Jews who knew the Bible well, the Torah especially, and they're going back in their heads and they're like, oh no, he's right. He's right. The text, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God who was counted to him as righteousness, happens two chapters before Abraham is circumcised, which to Jews the world over and throughout history is the number one sign that you are a Jew, that you are God's people. And Abraham was considered righteous by God before that sign. Again, this is why we don't baptize infants. This is why we baptize believing adults because circumcision was the sign that pointed to relief. It's not the sign that means anything. Listen to me, parents. It doesn't mean anything if you, your kid gets christened or baptized and they turn out to be atheists. That sign does not save. What saves is faith through the grace of the living God. And now, this is another thing. <laughs> Abraham wasn't circumcised until he was 99 years old, which speaks to the fact that his faith was active. He leaves his father and mother at age 75, he goes to a land that God said, I'll show you later. So he leaves not knowing where he's going to go. That's what Hebrew talks about. He shows up. There's a famine. He's going to war. Uh, Lot is giving him all kinds of headaches. Uh, he has no property. He owns nothing. And God said he would make this great nation out of him. He works 24 years and he gets older and older. Gray hair, wrinkles. You know how it goes. 99 years old. God says, okay, now here we go. Here we go, Abraham. Are you ready? As for you, Genesis 17, 9, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. 
And then verse 24, Abraham was nine. <laughs> this is one of the funniest texts in all the Bible. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ouch! Do I need to go deeper? <laughs> Do I need to go further? 99 years old, the guy is circumcising himself. Which just speaks to the fact that he had a saving faith because his faith was active. This is where James come in, comes in and says, don't tell me about your faith if you don't have works. I'll show you my faith by what I do. Okay, it is saving faith absolutely produces works of faith. As Martin Luther once said, as light and heat cannot be separated from fire, so works cannot be separated from faith. So he's 99 years old and he circumcises himself and his whole household. Talk about blood everywhere. He had 318 armed men in his house. Blood everywhere. Men walking around limping for probably two weeks. No anesthetic. No, 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 you know, Novocaine, if you will. I mean, he's got to bear the pain of that. Faith. Faith lives. Faith acts. Faith moves. And he does this at 99 years old. It's just a, it's just a story that's illustrating that if you believe, um, that's all that matters, but believing produces action. It's just a fact. What else does Abraham do? He offers his son Isaac. After waiting all those years for him to be born, he offers his son Isaac. This, what I'm trying to tell you is that this guy doesn't just have faith. He has supernatural faith, a faith that only God can give. A supernatural faith will obey God when everything tells you in the natural, don't do it. And this is so important for you because only Christians, only true devout Christians will follow God when everything inside them says no, because it's supernatural faith. It's supernatural faith that God gives by grace. It's what Abraham had. It's what David had. It's what you can have by trusting in Jesus Christ, who supernaturally was raised from the dead. Oh, and we'll get to the power of God at work in our faith at the last half of chapter four. We're not going to go very far. In fact, we're only going to go four more verses. So let's get there, right? Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal. That's important. A seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Who is he talking about there? Who's Paul talking about? He's talking about Gentiles, non-Jews, the outsiders. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also... Mm, there it is, who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The point is being drilled into the people to whom Paul is writing, God only justifies sinners and he does not justify them on the, on, on the basis of what they do or on their religious activity or on their ceremony or on the, 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 the pretense of religious activity. He saves on the basis of faith by grace. The idol, by the way, that Paul keeps hitting here in the, in the Jew's life is circumcision. And this is a idol that he has to deal with, not just here in Romans, he has to deal with it in Galatians. And he deals with it big time in Galatians. Galatians is basically, the whole book is written about circumcision. It's all about circumcision. And it's because, it's because we are so adept at turning almost anything in our lives in church into the ultimate thing that makes us who we are. You can do this with, um, you can do this with your ministry, your calling. You can do this with 
speaking in tongues. And I've talked about this, uh, modern circumcision idea idols. You can do this with knowing the Bible. You can do this with, you know, the American family that you, that, that you're not really saved until you do these things. And that's what the Jews believe. You're not really saved until you're circumcised. And Paul says, no, because even Abraham was not circumcised when he was saved, when he was accepted by his faith, when he was imputed the righteousness of God. Okay, that's the text. That's all we're going to cover today. Let's talk about what it meant. What it meant, and it's very simple, and it's very good. The best Old Testament people could not justify themselves before God. Bam! And that is good news. That is good news for you. Can we talk about Sunday school faith? Can we talk about Sunday school Christianity? Sunday school Christianity is be like Abraham, and God will accept you. And be like David, and beat your Goliaths, and and be like Moses, and trust God through the wilderness, and be like Joshua, and fight your battles. Right? No. No, that's not what the Old Testament is teaching us. The Old Testament is teaching us, trust God. Put your faith in him. He's the one who saves. He's the one who delivers. And you cannot justify yourself. These men were not all righteous 100% or good. You say, wait a second, I know a guy. I know a guy whose righteous name was Job. Job was righteous. Okay, well, from Job's own words, Job 9.20, though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. Oof. Even Job, this righteous, blameless man in all his generation, says, before God, I stand perverse. I stand condemned. Which brings me back to the Bible cam. Let's take a look at it because what does it say in the very first verse? What shall we say then? Was gained by Abraham our father according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But not before God. See, the real issue, dear Christian, is not how good you are in the sight of your community, in the sight of your church, in the sight of your family. The real issue is how righteous you are in the sight of God. And before God, we are all condemned in our own works. So the good news of what this meant, and is what Paul's saying is, the best Old Testament people needed salvation, just like you. Are you one of those people like David who struggles with lust and hatred? Well, welcome to the gospel. Are you someone like Abraham who struggles with courage and uh, husband love? Welcome to the gospel. Are you someone like, oh, let's talk about Gideon, who hides and doubts every step of the way as God calls him to do these things? Welcome to the gospel. Are you someone like uh, Jonah, who when God tells you to do A, you run all the way to Z? Welcome to the gospel. Welcome to the gospel, bad people, because God only justifies bad people. And what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 4 is justification by faith is established in the father of faith, Abraham. This is important. Abraham is the prototype of our lives. He is the prototype. A faith that believes is a faith that lives it out. And note, in spite of our failures, what, what do you let the devil keep throwing in your face? What do you let the devil keep saying? No, 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 no. A true Christian wouldn't do that. Or what do you continue to repeatedly do and then and you say, oh, I did it again. I, I, I don't know why I do these things. Okay, Paul's going to even talk about that in Romans 7 about his own life. 
That does not mean you're not saved. The fact that you grieve over your sin, the fact that you know that Jesus needs to save you from that sin is a sign that you are saved. It is the prototype. Abraham is the prototype of, of a believer who lives out his faith and, yes, still fails. It's good news, guys. It's good news because if it was all about you becoming perfect now in your own effort, you're done. You're finished. You can't do it. It's not about that. It's about a God who loves you in spite of those failures and will bring you to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's talk about what it means today. What it means in Romans chapter 4, 1 to 11, I think we went to, it means this. If Abraham cannot be justified by his good deeds and good personism, neither can you. It also means if David cannot be condemned by his sin through his faith, neither can you. Ooh, those two points are gold. If you cannot be justified by your works and you cannot be condemned by your sin, what does that mean? It means it's not about you. It's not up to you. There is no sin that God cannot forgive through Christ, not even adultery and murder. And anyone who says different has not read their Bible. Number three, neither our good works nor our bad deeds are the determining factor of our standing before God. I kind of summed up point one and two with point three, which is because the Christian faith demands that we take our eyes off of ourselves and our own record and our righteousness and our good and our bad and put our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember that song, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus and the things of this world will go strangely to them. Well, you're part of this world. You're flesh. You're a life. You're a lifestyle. Part of this world. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me, let me bring you to a very important point about the gospel. You know you've heard gospel preaching when it causes you to worship Jesus. You know you've heard the gospel when it warms your heart in love for Christ because you realize that he is your only hope. Number four on the list of what it means. It means I'm blessed. As David said, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. The contrast of that is Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For as it written, curses everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law or do them. In other words, you're cursed if you want to try to be good in your own sight. And in verse 11, it says, Now it is evident that one is, no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, I'm blessed, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So let's put this equation up on the screen again. This is last week's equation. We're just going to add something to it. Justification plus propitiation. That is Christ uh, satisfying the wrath of God, being put forward as a satisfying offering for the wrath of God, leads, uh, operates through redemption and equals salvation. And then salvation yields imputation. That is God's righteousness account uh, <coughs> credited, <coughs> excuse me, credited to your account. This is the beautiful message of the gospel. You are a beloved child. That's why Ephesians 5.1 will say that. Live a life of love as dearly beloved children. Well, I'm not a good person. You're a dearly beloved children if you put your faith in Christ. 
Yeah, but what, what do I have in me that God loves? The righteousness of Jesus Christ's Son, whom that was imputed to you upon belief. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. Now let's talk about why it matters. Why it matters is this is important. Okay, guys, God responds to faith. Yes, you are a sinner. But the question is, do you believe God sent Jesus to die for you and redeem you from your sin? Do you believe that? Because the only people God saves is sinners. This is why Mary Magdalene is in heaven, guys. He, she was demon-possessed. Seven demons were in her. She was demon-possessed. She was set free. She's in, she's in heaven today. This is why Matthew and Zacchaeus, the hated tax collectors, are in heaven. Because though they were evil, and though they used to rip off their own brothers, and they used to work for Rome, the oppressive government of Rome against their own brothers in the Jewish faith, those hated tax collectors are in heaven. By the way, this is why Norm MacDonald is in heaven. Did you know this? I found out this week. I'm so excited. I heard on a video I, I trust that it's stuck. Norm MacDonald's being interviewed and he talked about, I'm a Christian. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And then he talked about how much grief he gets in Hollywood for it. Thank God. Norm MacDonald's going to be in heaven because that means uh, it's going to be hilarious up there. This is why Johnny Cash is in heaven. This is why Kanye West is on the way to heaven. These people who before Christ lived these immoral lifestyles and Jesus saved them and they are changed and transformed through faith in Christ. Secondly, why it matters. If God delays in your life, it's not denial of his purpose for your life. And that goes back to Abraham, 24, 25 years waiting for Isaac, waiting, waiting, waiting. And we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, not next week, two weeks. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. And Delay, delay, delay. But the deny, the 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 not the, the, the denial never came. Delay does not mean denial in God's economy. Number three, when you are confronted with sin, do you repent or do you excuse it? Are you a David or are you a Saul? And then number th four, finally, when you realize your sin, do you run to God or do you not or do you deny your sin? In other words. The human race is divided by two kinds of people. Not good people and bad people. Mm -mm. There's only bad people. The human race is divided by this. People who know they're bad and people who think they're not. And it's the people who know they're bad that will either turn to dead works religion, which cannot save and just lead to a life of frustration and depression. Or people who turn to Christ receive the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing, the washing of water, and then the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then they worship. They turn into worshipers. They turn into joyful people, grateful people like we talked about last week. Let me give you one final illustration because that's what great preachers do. They illustrate. A profile of faith, John Newton. John Newton lived in the 1700s. He did not start out. He's uh, known for writing a very famous song. I'll talk about that song in the end. Don't, don't spoil it in the comments below, please. <laughs> he was the son of a godly mother and a wicked, unpleasable father. His father was a sailor. His mother prayed for him and committed him to the Lord. But as a youngster, he was rebellious and ungodly. And to impress his father, he became a sailor. Uh, John Newton eventually uh, ended up in the slave trade. He was actually the captain of the ship, captain of a ship that transported slaves in the African slave trade. Uh, but then his fortunes reversed on him. Believe it or not, he became a slave himself, became a slave to a woman, 
a high society woman who chained him to a table. <laughs> and all he would get to eat was the scraps that fell from her dinner. That's how, this, that's how low this man got. Talk about prodigal son. Anyway, some of his sailor friends gave him uh, this book by Thomas Akempis. It's called The Imitation of Christ. And he was on board a ship and he was reading this book by the great theologian, by the way, Thomas Akempis. And he began to read about salvation and grace and, and Jesus and what Jesus has come to do. Well, the ship came upon a furious storm and it tossed him into the sea and he cried out to God as he was in the midst of the waves of the sea about to die and a great wave tossed him back up onto the ship and he got down on his knees on that ship and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And the song that he wrote is called Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that very appropriate words now, saved a wretch like me. When he said a wretch, he wasn't just being lyrical, he was being real. And John Newton very famously said, I am not the man that I ought to be. I am not the man that I wish to be. And I am not the man that I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man that I used to be. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what the gospel does. Turns us into humble, dependent, grateful sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you guys for being here, guys. Hey, support the channel if you would be so kind. There's the cash tag app on the screen or PayPal. You can do either. Thank you for your support. Thanks for being here. Uh, love you guys. Love doing this content. Loving the Book of Romans. I hope you are too. TimHatchLive.com. TimHatchLive across all the social media channels. The swag on the website. And next week, guys, no deep end. Boo. No deep dive. Boo. But good news, 10 Questions with Tim is next Thursday. Get your questions in, ask at timhatchlive.com or the comments below. And I will be back in two weeks with the deep end and deep dive. Other than that, I look forward to seeing you next time on the channel.